Welcome to CigarCast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Mission Cigar and Social here in Spring Hill, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Debman. I'm joined, as I am every week, by It's All His Fault, Mr. Shane Reeves. Okay, you better act surprised. <laughs> so, <laughs> before we talk about cigars, I want to talk about the business of podcasting. All right. We ordered the new Zoom podcast digital recorder when we got ready to launch this thing back off. Has it only been that long yeah. since we got the new one? And the screen is the size of a freaking postage stamp. It's fine. It's the same size it was on the old one. We rolled right. Yeah, you'd think they'd improve. Well, (laughs) there's only, they want to keep it light and portable. There's only so much room for a screen. We rolled right through the break last week. And I've been wondering how that happened. And now I know. I was analyzing this thing. I thought, yeah, there's no possible way unless you make a concerted effort to see that screen. I mean... It, part of that comes from how we sit, and because my iPad is between me and the screen, so I have to make an effort to to look for it. Well, and I will tell everybody, if you don't have one of these, you need to get them. They're very cheap. I have the alarm clock that projects the time on the ceiling. Oh, so that, you don't even have to roll over? I've had that for probably 10 years. I've, this is my second one Are of them. Are you a back sleeper? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, I sleep on my back, I sleep on my side, I sleep, but all I have to do is open my eyes and I can see the time on the ceiling. And my wife, she doesn't have to try to look over me, you know, because the alarm clock sets on my side of the bed. She doesn't have to. The, if you don't have that, so we need a Zoom that projects the time projects we're recording <laughs> up on the ceiling so that when we're sitting here recording, we can look up. And know what time we're at. That's funny. Or just like set up. That's what I should do is I should set my watch when I start it just so that I've got quick, quick easy access. No, well, every time, every time my phone rink goes off, my timer goes off and here somebody yells blinds are up. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so that would be awkward well, no, during the I'm podcast. Silent. All alarms should be silent in public. I think that's why I, that's my favorite feature of the, the Apple Watch is I can set an alarm or a timer or whatever, and it's completely silent. I'm the only one that gets to know what's going on. The, doesn't it defeat the purpose of an alarm if it's silent? No, because it <laughs> vibrates. You're not going to make any headway selling your silent smoke detectors and silent CO2 alarms. The thing is, for me, all alarms and smoke detectors are silent. That's well, why the, they're that, for everybody. Yeah. yeah, but you can still see a strobe. Even if, like, that this is so funny. Accessible devices are accessible for everybody. Right. So if a smoke detector doesn't make a sound because it strobes like a flashing light instead, you can still see that. And if you know what it means, it's still effective for you. So, yeah. I didn't. Well, tell us what you're smoking today. Thank you for getting me out of that because I didn't know where I was going. This is a La Polina Blue Label. I was looking for as per usual, just something within the budget, but kind of new and different. You know, and I realized, I don't think I've actually ever smoked the La Polina Blue Label Sumatra. Yeah, this is the Sumatra. It's a good stick. Um, we came to the conclusion the other day when the La Polina rep was here and he was doing poker with us. Or no, he didn't do poker. He just did a cutting light. That we have too mild an assortment of La Polina in our humidor. And Because we just bought the blue label, the red label, the white label, and the um, bronze. Okay. And he said, no, you really need to get the black, the Oscuro in here. And he said, you know, you, you need to trade out some of these in such a way that we get a better representation in your humidor. Because, of course, we're, we've got a new rep. You know, you, what happens is... One rep orders the cigars and makes these recommendations. They get them in, and the new rep comes in and says, oh, I'd never set the humidor up like this. Right. <laughs> so that's just the way it goes. But the La Plana, the Sumatra is one of my favorites. Uh, the bronze is my favorite, then my sun-grown, and then the Sumatra would be third. Okay. And, the you know, the Connecticut is good, but it doesn't get a chance in here because we're sewed up. We got the, um, right. the La Galera and the, the Champagne. And that pretty well keeps that all sewed up. So I'm going to smoke a Padron 9000. You know, I don't smoke enough of this cigar. This is one of those that for the... It's too big. Well, the cigar for the money, this is the best deal in the humidor. See, I think the 4000 is that. Yeah, you're probably right. A little smaller ring gauge. But I like this. It's a 660. 
Um, and I may have the thousand wrong if I have the thousand wrong. It's a thousand series in a six sixty. I think it's a seven thousand. Seven thousand, nine thousand, five thousand. Uh, you know, would it kill you, Padron, to put a something on the label saying which series this is? Knowing Padron, probably. In all likelihood. Yeah. So there, um, I'm going to smoke that. It's a Nicaraguan puro, like all of Padrones. I'm very. It's just. It's a good cigar. I'm just. I'm very satisfied to be smoking this cigar right now. It's unusual. Today has been a big cigar day for me. Oh, yeah? Well, I've already had two. This is now my third one. Dang. So you'll get to four, maybe even five by the end of the day? More than likely, which will be a super rare day for me. Yeah. And I'll, but it's kind of one of those things where the morning I had one while I was putting the notes for the podcast together, and then me and a buddy ran his scooter up, or excuse me, his hog, and got new tires put on it. <laughs> And while we were waiting for them to do that and change them out, we went and had dinner and went by and had a cigar at a place. Yeah. And so I um, ended up doing that and switching. And so I'm now on my third cigar. So I figured I would do the Padron because I know it's going to, you know, if you're going to be on a dirty pallet, why not buy something that you know exactly what it's going to be? So it's funny you mentioned that about being on dirty pallet because I was thinking about this. So... At what point during the day is your palate no longer dirty? So, I mean, if I smoke a cigar at 8 o'clock in the morning and then eat breakfast and then drink my coffee and then eat lunch and then have another cigar at 2 o'clock, is that still considered a dirty palate? I mean, I wouldn't think so. So is a meal in between? Is it two hours in between? Is it, like, what's what's the line there? The pallet reset time is approximately 163 minutes. <laughs> All right. So then I'm on a fresh pallet, which then you're probably on a fresh pallet by now then. No, I just had, I just finished oh. that other one about 45 minutes ago. Oh, okay. <laughs> now, um, I understand what you're saying, and I do think that that is a valid, you know, if I have a cigar in the morning and it's five o'clock before I come in here and have a cigar, then I consider that a clean pallet. Yeah, so uh, my daughter and I headed into Nashville to go to a festival this morning at about like 1130 and I had a cigar on the trip in because it was just the two of us and then I didn't have another one until I just lit this blue label so I consider that a fresh palate I've eaten a meal and drank two cups of coffee since then well and I think sometimes we over overstress the clean palate and the dirty palate thing you know it's funny, I was talking about that with somebody recently. And on the one hand, I think you're right. But then there are some cigars that really don't like giving their flavor when you've already had another cigar within the last two, three hours. Well, and I also think it depends on strength. If you smoke a heavy cigar and then smoke a lighter cigar, you're not going to taste the lighter cigar as well. You know what? I've found that that really doesn't have a bearing on it. And I, I think it has, because there have been times, the, the A.J. Fernandez Enclave is a, a medium full cigar. It's got a, a lot of heat to it. Right. But there have been, I've smoked lighter cigars than it, and then, but the flavor profile, I don't know if it's, they're so similar or so different that it steps on top of it. Or it, it which I think what it comes down to, honestly, is, you know, we have different taste buds. Certain taste buds are only there for bitter, for strength, for savory, for sweet, whatever. And I'm thinking you're probably blowing out a certain percentage of those based on what you're smoking. And the, so whether or not that's the same profile of the other one, strength doesn't really matter. It's, it's whether or not those same taste buds are being invoked. Well, and you know, I was thinking about this. I think your palate is as much mental as it is physical. Because how many times have you been with somebody and they said, oh, yeah, I just don't have a good enough palate? Well, you're limiting yourself. I don't think you're born without a palate. I think that you, some people train their palate more, and I think people that don't want to train their palate smoke a little more lazily. I, I think I think it goes... I, I think it's a little from column A, a little from column B, right? So 
some people are naturally going to have the ability to pick up on more flavor nuances than other people. Those, uh, it's the same way with colors, right? In general, women have more cones than rods in their eye, whereas men tend to have more rods than cones. We have better night vision. They have better color vision. It's the same thing with a, with a palette. Some people are already going to be predisposed to noticing the nuances in different flavors, and that's probably going to entice them to lean into that and learn and train and work, whereas if you smoke four cigars and really can't tell the difference in the flavor between them, you're probably not going to be all that interested in training your palate because you don't see the, the difference. Well, I'm, uh, I'm the opposite of that. I look at it like golf. One of the things I love about golf is I have no talent whatsoever for it. So everything I know about golf, I have learned, I have worked on, I have developed, I have built... And so my golf swing, I can take a tremendous amount of pride in my golf swing because I, I know where I started and that I have no talent for it. And I think if you put your mind to it, you can train your palate to do anything. I believe you can. Uh, I don't disagree with that. But I think this idea that it's, it's simply laziness if you don't have a, a well-refined palate. I think there's a certain amount of it that's... No, I think it's laziness if you don't seek a well-refined palate. If you accept your own excuse of, oh, I just don't taste those things, that's laziness. Perhaps. I, I give it a little bit more grace in that. Because there, if, you can, if you can have, a, by your own admission, an uninformed palate and still enjoy cigars, who am I to tell you that you're enjoying them wrong? Well, I'm, I'm the guy at the shop that you asked what you should smoke. Well, that's a... <laughs> that's who I am. <laughs> <laughs> and all, and it's, it's one of those things. I think people do kind of accept excuses sometimes that they, that they give their self that they would be better off without. But moving forward... Perhaps... New Foundation Cigar honors Nicaraguan poet. So, I am really surprised by how much you're on board with this. And, I mean, you seem excited about this, you, and it's a foundation. What's going on here? Oh, no, I'm not excited about it at all. I don't plan on smoking it anytime soon. Okay. But we've done a lot of grumbling lately about how they're picking names for cigars. Well, you and, have. Well, no, I... Someone grumbled heartily about the Pledge of Allegiance cigar. That wasn't by foundation. <laughs> no, but that was still. Oh, I thought you meant specifically foundation. No, maybe. I meant cigars in general. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Um, the, so the bigger point of this article after we cover the cigar, I'll kind of get to. But let's go ahead and get to this. It has an Ecuadorian Sumatra wrapper, which is a first for the company. Which I think they'll do well with. Well, it's got a Connecticut broadleaf binder and Nicaraguan fillers. And um, Maduro and Claro, natural. Sumatra is so hard to work with. The chances of foundation hitting my palate with this cigar has got to be sub 20%. See, I disagree. I think, I mean, Sumatra is hard to work with, sure. But I think knowing the profile... Now, I'm not talking about you specifically. You're, you're not going to like it because it says foundation on the label. Or it's, it's, it, it's pushing that boulder up the hill already. However, I think this is something that their, their blend tendencies will probably highlight. Especially with that Connecticut Broadleaf binder, which is a leaf they know very well. Well, and it's an interesting picture they have on there. You know, they they say they're naming it after Nick or uh, Nick Malelio says he's naming it after Nicaraguan poet Ruben Dario. You could just put a picture of anybody on there, right? Nobody would nobody aside from Ruben Dario's son would know what he looked like. I bet <laughs> you know it's I, I think I think I'd go to Photoshop and get this stock image. <laughs> I, I I bet you'd be surprised. You know, it's funny for all of the for all of the, not to go too deep into the topic we hit last week, but for all of the, the national pride that Americans have, we don't do a really good job at recognizing the people who represent us on an international stage. 
So we recognize our, our local heroes, our sports teams and things like that. But, you know, if we had somebody representing the U.S. in water polo, we wouldn't recognize them walking down the street or whatever. A lot of countries, especially smaller countries like Nicaragua, Central there's a lot more national pride at the international sporting level and in other types of... Like, I bet you there are more Germans that can tell you the name of the German scientist that that helped uh, discover the quark at CERN than there are Americans that can tell you the name of the American that was also on the team. Yeah, we got the bomb, baby. We ain't got to care about sports figures. <laughs> at the end of the day, we you're got both the, making and missing my point at the we, same we've time. We've got That's the bomb and the, the will skill. to use it. <laughs> uh, so. so, but no, I'm saying I bet there are are quite a, a quite a few more Nicaraguans than you be, than you realize that would recognize that photo. I would be interested to see. I would be interested to take one of these boxes through the streets of Nicaragua and say, who is this? And eight out of ten answers. Well, I think I got an uncle that looks like that. Right. <laughs> but anyway. But did your uncle do anything worth getting put on the box right, was of he Was he a poet? <laughs> and didn't know it? I was waiting for that. That was <laughs> such knew, low-hanging fruit. You knew that. Well, I, I couldn't let that walk by. So, the, it comes in four softly pressed sizes. <laughs> okay, does that mean it's a soft box press or that they just kind of gently massage the cigars before they put them in? I do love the mental image that that gives, softly pressed. That's yes. like that's like they tucked it in for bed. Yeah, we just very gently handled this cigar. Um, and so the average price is $14.50 to $18 a stick. It comes in 10-count boxes. Are we at the point where the market has caught up to foundation? Much like we've talked about with Caldwell. Yeah, almost. I don't think we're there yet because the High Clear Castle is still 16 bucks. You know, the foundation is still right, like 15 14 So it, we're very close, but I still think they're about a dollar outside where, where the market's ready to put them. It only took four years of record high inflation to catch up to foundation. <laughs> but isn't, isn't that telling? But like, isn't that very really telling, telling? A foundation? <laughs> and all in my... And I probably... I, you know, foundation has never done anything to me. I really should not be so negative to Such them. Such a curmudgeon. But something about that company just rubs me the wrong way. And I love their sales rep. He's a great guy. But something about their the way they present themselves just rubs me the wrong way. It, you know, it's funny because there are, you know, Room 101 is that for me. I don't really have a personal reason to have this the level of animosity I do for that company, but I, I just, I do. You know, I hope the microphones are not picking up uh, all of the background noise that I'm picking up sitting here. Yeah, I, I'm... I'm thinking we may have to make an adjustment at the break. Yeah, it's a, there's a, there's a lot of loud people in here tonight for some reason, <laughs> and also we may, we may have to make an adjustment because I'm I'm catching a whole lot of that. See, you're trying to look at that postage stamp sign and, <laughs> and trying to figure it out. Well, so you know to 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 reveal the man behind the curtain a little bit, I was trying to turn the backlight on because it's so bright outside that it feels really dim in here and I can't see see without the backlight on. When you were going through your spiel at the top of the show the first time, I hit a button to try and activate the backlight, which was the one that stops the recording. So I was trying very hard to make sure I didn't do that again. <laughs> right. I was just I'm, I'm just noticing that 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 sign. So a new line of El Rey de Mundo, the shade grown, El Rey El Rey de Mundo. With a shade-grown wrapper from Talonga. What else have we heard of from Talonga? Seems like there was something else that came from Talonga. Was it a Drew Estate product? No, I don't think they do anything from Honduras, do they? Was it Rocky? I don't know. Seems like this is not the first time. So this is rolled at the Hotsa factory in Honduras. They're made entirely of Honduran tobacco. But they're grown in the Connecticut River Valley. This, much like shade-grown tobacco grown in the Connecticut River Valley, this was grown in the Talonga Valley under tinting. So they've had the tobacco plants. They put up the cheesecloth. They give it a little shade so that it gets a little lighter wrapper. Mm-hmm. 
a little easier on that. So I, I do kind of like that. Well, it's interesting, you know, it's the El Rey de Mundo gets overlooked by a lot of folks. And I think it's because when we talk about the pricing of the market, you know, foundation's a little too high. I think El Rey de Mundo's probably a little too low. I think there are so many people that see that six, seven dollar price tag and assume it's garbage. Well, you know, I joked when we had that, because we got a lot of El Rey de Mundo in here that wasn't selling, so they got through in the $6 bin. And it was front. a price increase. Yeah. I'm like, so you raised the price 50 cents and put them in the $6 bin? <laughs> and all, and then they sold like hotcakes. Right. It, it was the perceived value. Right. Exactly. But I think, I think the El Rey de Mundo is a great cigar. I think it's... If for me, I'm going to give it a five, five and a half. So maybe that's good or very good. Maybe not all the way to great. But when you factor in the price, I do think it's a great cigar. I think it's a great value. Yeah, it gets a little bump for the price more so than for anything else. It's not super nuanced, but it is it is flavorful. Right. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that Shade Grown does so well is you get a much lighter cigar. But you get development of nuance and flavor. So this is not for the guy who doesn't have a palate. But I, I'm excited. I, I know I won't see it in here, but I'm excited to, to try this when it comes out. This is not a cigar I smoke very much. It, it's not one of my favorites. But again, at the price, it's, it's pretty so good. So at a good cigar at a fair price, what keeps you from smoking it? The availability. Of, uh, so... It, it doesn't show up in a lot of my regular shops. I've got between here, the place we used to record, and my home shop, none of them carry it. Actually, the old shop might, but I don't. I really only get there maybe once a month. So it's just not available. Then there's, if I'm somewhere like Belmead that does carry it, they've got other stuff that I can't get anywhere else that if I'm going to go for to that shop, I'm getting one of those. So this is the embodiment of when I say you can't be good in the cigar business. You've got to be great. If you're just good, you're just good. Yeah, I would say yeah, if, if, if I wanted to put a behavior around that statement, this is exactly it. Yeah, I think that's kind of what it what it is. So we're going to talk about the size of this cigar, but we also need to talk about the size of the United Signar Ignites the Summer with the Black Bomb Firecracker. Well, why are we talking about them? There's nothing unique about the El Rey de Mundo. It's a yeah. five and a half by 50 Robusto, a six by 52 Toro, and a six and a half by 44 Lonsdale. Those are normal. more often than not, you see it in the five and a half by 50, which is another reason I don't pick it up very often. Right. If it was a little... If they had it in the Toro in the 6x52 here, people would probably buy it. Probably so. But for some reason, we ended up with like 20 boxes of 55 50 and ended up having to, to get rid of them all in the discount bin just because of that, which actually worked out since it was only a $5.89 cigar cent. Right. <laughs> you know, we only lost about 50 cents a stick on that. That's probably been the best discount closeout uh, program you've ever had in here. Yeah, probably probably worked out better for the shop than anything else. So, the Black Bomb Firecracker from United Cigars. Have you ever, what what else does United Cigars make? Do you have any idea? I wish I had thought to look that up before we started recording because I was kind of thinking the same thing. And and the reason I was thinking about it is because so they mention here that oh I lost my. Um, here we go. That the firecracker was the first. Why can I never remember where in this article it says? Just fake it. All right. Uh, was the first cigar on the market with a long piece of tobacco at the head shaped like a wick or fuse to capture its name, firecracker. Okay. You're a cigar brand I've never heard of, practically. And we've been doing this show for six and a half years. Um, I know that Viaje had one that had a fuse on it. The six hundred one Labamba has one. Um, yeah, they also uh, Espinosa came out with the Nunchuck, which was two connected together. I think that was Espinosa, right? So, I've 
so it's just one of those things of like I just I can we get away from the firecracker thing? So we we just off the top of our head came up with three or four examples of the fuse on the head of the cigar. So right. that's not a novelty anymore. And and the crazy thing is it's on the head of the cigar. So it's not right. like you light it. Right. Unless well, how you're would, smoke it that backward. Would, that would not work. No, absolutely. But I'm I'm just saying yeah. if you're gonna call it a fuse <laughs> Right. Do make it on the side that you light for sure. Right. So I it it's a total gimmick. It doesn't add anything. And I just this firecracker. So many people have firecrackers. I don't. I don't need bomb and and firecracker gunpowder imagery in my cigar. Why is this such an easy go-to for people? Is okay. So here's my question. Well, before we do that, the the black bomb firecracker is made in the Tabacalus Aramagia. The wrapper is a Mexican San Andreas. The binder is Sumatra, and the filler is Dominican Nicaraguan. So I like the, if you gave me this recipe, I would probably say, oh, okay, that's a cigar I would like. Yeah. But it's three and a half by 50. That's a short cigar. I mean, that's, and that's the thing. You get into these short cigars we keep seeing on these different places. So, all right. So they're brands. Abuelo. Have you ever heard of? Nope. All right. Ain't that grandma? Grandfather. It grandfather. Was, oh, not a, but yeah. Um, acid, which is, I'm really... <laughs> Surprised there's not been a lawsuit over that. No, they're actually showing acids. Oh, um, they're showing Drew Estate acids yeah. that they make them? I guess. Atabay, that's also somebody else's, isn't it? I've had Atabay, and they're not bad. Yeah. They're not great. They're good, not great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bandolero, Byron, Classic, Desperado, Dos Hombre. Uh, which is bad grammar, by the way. Firecracker, Garofalo Family Legacy, Garofalo La Familia, Hightower, Jose Dominguez, La Giana Havana, La Mescla, Cabana, Montosa, Red Anchor, Terra Nova. Yeah, I've not heard of any of these. Okay, the Bandolero I have, and we smoked a Bandolero <laughs> yeah. on the show I brought yeah. back, and Bandolero is an excellent cigar. I will give United credit. Bandolero is an excellent cigar. But, um, yeah, but the Bandolero is like 20 bucks a stick. It's a little pricey right. for, for the stick that it is. But why would you, so three and a half by 50, just, I can, okay, make that one of the sizes. Let's not make that the only size. Yeah, I just, in a world where so much of the cigars being, now I realize the fat has died down, but six by 60 is still one of the most popular sizes being sold in this country. So why are you going to put all in all of your eggs in the three and a half by 50 basket? So if you were going to estimate the time it'd take you to smoke a three and a half by 50, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 20 to 25 minutes. Yeah. So are they trying to hit that market, but they don't mention none of that in the advertising here of this press release? Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm about forty. Depending on the brand and the cigar, I'm about forty-five to an hour on a Toro. Yeah, and that's about where I want to be. I want to yeah. be the length of a of a good podcast on a on a Toro. Yeah. So let's step away. When we come back, though, I want to talk about these small cigars. Because I feel like when they're a small cigar, they better pack a lot of strength. Or or, or at least something. Yeah. Let's, right. So well, we'll, we'll cover that when we get back. We'll step away. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts sitting across from the man wearing a shirt saying, I'm in favor of Parthenogenesis, Mr. Trey Dedman. Parthenogenesis. So, does he know what Parthenogenesis is? So, Genesis is the beginning of or the creation of Parth. I don't know what Parthenogenesis would be. So, this is interesting. Um, okay, this is not an article I put in the, um, in the notes, so you'll have to bear with me. From the Royal Society Publishing, this talks about a news story I heard last week that a crocodile gave birth to a clutch of 14 viable eggs without ever seeing a male. A female crocodile completely reproduced and cloned herself. Wow. 
Now, none of the babies survived. None of the eggs hatched, but they all had viable fetus in them. And they tested them, and they were exact clones of the female. That's amazing. And, you know, parthenogenesis is prevalent in a lot of the reptile species, especially lizards. The, um, you know, the Californian whiptail salamander is most famous for this. But I, I was listening to a podcast talking about this the other day, and I thought, if there was a pro-parthenogenesis party, Trey would be in it. Uh, <laughs> maybe. Uh, I don't, I don't see it as being a cause that requires a whole lot of fervent... <laughs> you don't think you have to follow that? <laughs> I don't think so. All right. So back to, back to little cigars. Um, I really feel like if you're going to do these little cigars, one, you got to market them as, okay, this is a short smoke. Right. And two, and here's the thing. Is there a market for the short smoke? I think there is for people that want the 30-minute the smoke. I think there there have been days, actually today would have been great, where I got here a little bit earlier than you did, and if there had been a 30-minute smoke in that humidor at a reasonable price, that's the key, I probably, I would have had one waiting for you, but there just, it doesn't exist in, in this shop, but, and so here's the other, here's... So this is the the firecracker we were just talking about is a three and a half by fifty. It's a very small cigar, but it's six bucks. It's not totally cheap, but in today's market, that's about as low as you're going to get price rise. What would you pay for? What if you if you were designing a thirty minute smoke? What price point would you seek to hit? I think six fifty is the absolute top of the mark. Oh, absolutely. I think you got to be closer to four bucks. Ideally, yes. And so this is my big complaint with a lot of these small cigars. Now, this one, like I said, six bucks. Okay. You're you're all right. The McAuliffe A, great cigar. The Robusto, the mini one, is still just over, I think it's right around six bucks. No. Right, I'm not going to get within three or four dollars of what the big one costs. Yeah, well, not only, not even that. It's less than two dollars difference, and this goes back to what we've talked about before about the price of the cigar is not the tobacco; it's right. the time and effort and the labor in creating it. And from one size to the next, there's not a whole lot of different difference in those labor costs. Uh, you know, so you're paying thirty-five cents difference per stick because that's the only difference in the tobacco. So if you're going to do this, I feel like you almost have to operate at a loss as a way for, okay, I'm going to make a cigar that is in the small footprint. I should charge, it should MSRP at $7, but I'm going to MSRP it at $5.50. Right. I know I'm not going to be very profitable and I'm going to lose margin, but I'm going to market it as the front door to my brand. Right, so that when people say, um, what cigars do United Cigars make, this gives them the opportunity to want to find that out. Exactly, and it's, okay, so this is, everything else in their portfolio is a lot more expensive, but this was specifically designed for you to be willing to give us a shot. We believe in our brand that much that we're practically giving this cigar away for free so you can see what we're capable of. Right. We, we, we want your business in this yeah. manner. Okay. I'm, a, I'm in. All right. So from thehill.com, time to make Trey mad, everyone. The FDA's damaging effort to ban flavored cigars. This is an opinion. Contributor Philip L. Bell wrote this. This is a guy that I do not want to have a cigar with. So, you know... You know it's going to be bad when the article starts with, imagine if a foreign government passed a law that shredded personal freedom, decimated an industry, replied upon of generations of working families. Um, generations of working families hadn't depended on the cigar industry here in America in a while. Right. <laughs> I mean, generations of families have, but not working families. Well, and it's, but it's, it's just so funny to me that he goes right to foreign government passing a law, like... Yeah, foreign governments don't pass laws in other people's countries. Like, that never happens. That's called a coup. (laughs) Right. Well, so the reason I brought this article up was because 
I do think it's unf- that this article is very unfairly written. Now, granted, he he states up front that this is an opinion piece. Right. If you look in the byline, it definitely states that this is an opinion piece. But I don't know. I think you made a really good point before the show about this. I don't want to steal your thunder. So, you know, we've the the two sides of this debate uh, is the FDA on one side, and then those of us you know, in the cigar industry on the other. And the people in the FDA have to make the emotional plea to get people on their size. Oh, this is for the kid. We're protecting the kids. We're protecting... Because they don't have facts to support them. Because they don't have facts to support them. When you're on this other side where we are, when you have the facts, when you have the data, when you have the bullet points that very clearly and without emotional manipulation spell out the right side of the argument use that don't stoop to gaslighting and you know superfluous and and flowery language to elicit an emotional response on some bugaboo about the government government overreach because it's not unique to the cigar industry yeah you know, I hate the emotional argument. I hate it. To me, if you've got to go to emotion, then you have not you've not researched the facts properly. In many cases, uh, I can't think of an emotional argument I've been a part of where the person arguing emotions had enough had enough data to hold up. Well, let's take discussions of religion are a pretty good example where there's not like. For at least, let's say, the Christian religion relies almost entirely upon faith. Yes, there are some anecdotal examples of this, and is why I believe that and that would, but there's very little facts and data. So you have to rely on an emotional argument because that's the only place that that debate exists. So there are some scenarios where you can't rely on facts and figures. No, I think you can from the standpoint, well, it depends. I will either like you for who you are or hate you for who you are, but I will not try to change who you are. All I'm going to do is I'm going to live my life. I'm going to be my best me. I'm going to enjoy myself. And if someone has an opinion that doesn't agree with me, okay, absolutely. Half the opinions I have, I hope I'm wrong. Right. But I just I just despise when people don't look at the the logic of something, you know, and religion is a good example. The Ten Commandments are a great piece of advice, even if you don't believe in religion. Yes. If you live your life by those rules, you're, the most in, you're in good shape. Yeah. Um, so that's a fact. Sort of. It's kind of how we have just countless examples of how evolution has been part of the the, the world since the since creation yet we still don't have enough facts and and, and um, categorical uh, what is the word of uh, objective data to move it from a theory to a law so I would say it's the same kind of situation for like the Ten Commandments. It's not. It's still not facts. Like yes, it is. It is good, but there, there's all of the evidence to support that having some type of moral basis for life is a good thing. Still relies mostly on anecdotal uh, evidence versus facts and figures. Well, what works works, and what doesn't doesn't. And if you lead a good life, you know, if you follow the Ten Commandments and you use that as your moral guide, nine times out of ten it works. Rarely does it not work. Right. So at the end of the day, to me, facts come down to what works works, what doesn't work doesn't work. And no amount of dreaming, oh, and the worst thing is when people say, oh, well, you don't, you don't believe like me, so that's why this doesn't work. Okay, it still doesn't work. My belief is not there. It's it, it's still right. at the end of the day. If it don't work, it don't work. Right. It's it's not magic. But that's but that's kind of my point. Is is you know, there there are scenarios in which 
not everything can be boiled down to facts and figures. But in the case of this, the FDA thing, because especially when you start like you start banging the the Joe Patriot drum about the government overreach and all of this stuff, it's this has been around for now two and a half administrations, right? Across both parties, so it's really disingenuous to sit here and talk about from a not overtly stated but very covertly implied that it's a certain group of the government that's responsible for this based on the website this comes from and the types of things that he's saying yet it's it's a it's an inherent problem that doesn't have a single scapegoat so stop trying to make it out like there is one yeah i mean and a good example of this Nevada's governor signs 50 cents cap on cigar tax, and it goes into effect on July 1st. Now, we talked about this a week or so ago, about the pending legislation that it was going to be signed. And in, in support of your opinion you just stated before I go into details on this, Bill was sponsored by Brian Hobbs, Republican, and Dewey Nguyen, Democrat. So, bipartisan, to say the a, least. A good idea is a good idea. A good idea. It works, it works. So, Nevada is passed a 50% sales tax uh, cap on all cigars. Yeah, so it's it's 30% of wholesale price, which was the old old taxable rate. Uh, but if it, you know, or 50 cents, whichever is greater, or, or whichever is... Lower. Lower, yeah. Not, not greater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he, I, I have an issue with this. Okay. And it's not... It's not an issue with the legislation it, itself, but because I, I don't, I don't know if this is like taken out of a press release from the state of Nevada or if this comes from the people at Half Wheel. But somebody needs to learn how to do math. So currently, the rate is thirty percent of the wholesale price, which means that a cigar that has an MSF RP of nine dollars and fifty cents ends up costing twelve thirty-five before any sales tax are added. So this just means. When the retailer is figuring out what price tag to put on the shelf, it goes from nine fifty to twelve thirty five. Once the cap goes into effect on July first, that cost will go down to approximately ten fifty. So wait a minute. So we've got a fifty cent tax and the price goes from nine fifty to ten fifty. Check check your math. Check your math a little bit. That just seems a little bit But but July 1st, I think uh, it'll be really interesting to see what this does. You know, in the previous article, one of the things that, that he touched on about banning certain types of tobacco or whatever are the implications it has to tax revenue, most of which typically these syntax kind of things go towards uh, children's homes, foster care, things that, you know, everyone can agree on are good things for us to invest money in. So I'll be interested to see from a Nevada standpoint what this change to their taxable revenue ha- uh, does to their state's budget. But you know, you know how I am. If the state doesn't have enough revenue, then they need to budget better. There are you and I, you and I agree with that in principle, but there is still a floor. Eighty percent of the time, it's poor management of the money. I mean. It, you know, I had a friend, several friends that have tried to adopt children. The cost of adopting children is ridiculous. Yes. So we're getting dinged on our taxes for, for orphanages, for children's homes, yet we're going to make it twenty five grand to adopt a child? This yeah. would seem to be like a problem that could be solved. Yes. No, I mean, absolutely, you know, mismanagement of funds. And, and there's there's probably room in most budgets to, to improve on our current situation without affecting our, you know, our taxable burden. Oh, wait. I just figured it out. Okay. So the, the current tax rate is, sorry, this is going back a minute. 950 is the whole, the... the the, the tax rate is on the wholesale price. So if, it, if the MSRP is nine fifty, the, the wholesale price of that cigar is four seventy five. Right. 50 cents on that. Then you take your keystone. So you're basically doubling the price of the so taxes. So you're double dipping. A little bit. I mean, 
if if Keystone is essentially 100% markup, right? It's 50% profit margin. So if if tax is part of your hard cost on a per stick basis, I don't think anybody would begrudge you adding that into the Keystone. No, because you're still it's still this is what it costs to get the cigar in the door. Exactly. So that's I, so it's it's 50 cents so it becomes yeah, so it's 475 wholesale right. price. So uh, becomes, so uh, a fifty cent cap means that it's you're going to add a dollar to every cigar. Yeah, exactly, because it's on the okay. wholesale price, not on the retail price. That that makes sense, but I do applaud Nevada for getting this approved, and I do think that we're going to see more of this in the future because the quote sin taxes have gotten so ridiculous that it, you know, where you're talking about eighty, ninety percent, and all. We've got an article coming up about Hawaii in the next show and how that's got out of control. I was talking to a friend of the show, listener, yesterday about the the tax rate on imported cigars in Mexico. I, I this is embarrassing because I know he's going to hear this and realize that it's not that I wasn't listening. It's that this is the first time I've ever heard this number, so I don't remember it. But, I want to say it was like 135% or 150 or 200%. Like, it was something outrageous. And that's just the tax rate on top of the wholesale price and import and all of that. Yeah, the, you know, so what would be wrong with, and I'm not a fan of big government, but what would be wrong if just having one tax rate for all 50 states on tobacco? What would be wrong with having one solid tax rate just across the board for for everything? Oh, hey, I'm in ve- I'm very much in favor of a flat tax. Well, I'm I'm not speaking specifically to income tax, but all taxes. Now, you know, this comes up. Uh, it's remarkable how often I talk about this, actually. But you know, Tennessee being a state without a state income tax is why we have just a ridiculous sales tax at nine and three quarters percent. So, you know, there, you have to allow some variation, but it would be great because one of the things about this country that I hate, and it's just a, it's a, a little just nag. It's not anything that's really that egregious, but it drives me insane. Put the price on the sticker. Don't make me do math to figure out right. what it's going to be when I get to the register. Yeah, that kind of, and I don't think that's so much a part... <sighs> I don't think that's much a part of this country. It's just a part of retailers are allowed to do it, so they do it. Well, I mean, it is... I've talked to, to people from Europe and, and other countries, and it is a fairly uniquely American problem. And the the excuse is that because all 50 states have their own tax rates, so the manufacturer can't set the price and know what the right. final price out the door, this would solve that. And then I know when I see $12.35 on the shelf that that's going to be the same number I right. see when I get to the register. When I walk up there, I'm going to pay $12.35. Why is that so hard? <laughs> Uh, well, it's, you know, and we, we've had the argument on flat tax before on flat income tax. I think it's crazy that you get charged more tax because you worked harder and earned more. That you get, you know, penalized an extra percentage because you worked harder than somebody else. I, I think that's criminal. And all. It, it should just be a flat tax. Everybody pays it, whether you make $1 or $1 billion, everybody pays the same percentage. Yeah, let's not have that discussion here. <laughs> we, 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 we got a little on the political spectrum last week. I don't want to make a habit of that. Okay, so moving on. Drew Estate returning to PCA Trade Show next year. So in 2024, Drew Estate will be returning to the PCA Trade Show. One, I wonder, okay, are they going to be returning big like they used to be, you know, where they had the big booth and all of that stuff? Or are they just going to buy a booth to say they made an appearance and have something like that? I would imagine knowing Drew Estate that if they're gonna if they're gonna do it, they're gonna do it big. Yeah, Jonathan doesn't really half-ass a lot of stuff. No, he doesn't. But I would like to say to everybody at the trade show, we don't need music in your booth. We don't need a DJ in your booth. The Rocky Patel booth had a DJ last year. 
And it was so ridiculous. I'd have hated to be one of the guys behind them. Right. And you can't have a conversation because what this jack wagon's doing over here. Yeah. Nobody's there trying to discover the next big artist. Right. You know, it's funny. And this is, I feel like within the last five years, this has gotten to be a bigger issue. I was at that conference in New York about a month ago, right? Great conference. The content and everything was phenomenal. But they sent out a survey at the end of the show, say, hey, tell us what you thought. My only gripe was that every time we had like an open session, like for a meal or or whatever, the music was so loud. And this is the deaf guy saying this, that you couldn't have a conversation with the people sitting across the table from you. Why? Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Um, You know, music while golfing. Mm -hmm. If you have to have your Bluetooth boom box clip to your golf cart to play golf. Don't go play golf. Stay home. I I somewhat disagree. I'll say this. If all four people in the foursome agree that they wish to listen to music and they can agree on the type of music to be listened to and they play it at a volume that the the foursome ahead of and behind them cannot hear it, I'm all for it. I don't know. It just, to me, it cheapens. You know, golf is a gentleman's pursuit. It's a gentleman's game. But so is music. Music has always been a very gentlemanly right. endeavor. But I don't go to Carnegie Hall and break out my chip, my clubs and start practice chipping there over the aisle seats into the tuba and the orchestra pit. Right. So... Let's let's keep let's keep the lines clear. I, I hate music while fishing. I had an uncle that got a boat with a radio, and we'd be sitting out there. Here it is, birds singing, water lapping, all the beauty of nature. And he turns on music, and I'm it, like, turn that off. If you can't appreciate the sounds of nature for the sake of the sounds of nature, then maybe you don't need to be in the in right. Nature if, so if, much. if you get bored so easily that you need you know WKLP playing in the background, then don't go fishing. Stay home. Now, I have, in my golfing career, I've probably played as many rounds solo as I have with a group or another person. And typically, when I do that, I will listen to a podcast or music on headphones in my ears for my enjoyment only. How do you feel about that? If it's on headphones and it's in your ears, knock yourself out. I don't care. However, if you are with a group and you still do that, you're a jerk. Absolutely. And, you know, I have the, the Trex Aftershocks headphones yeah. that leave my ears open where I can hear. And I wear those when I walk the dog just so I can hear traffic and everything else around us. Right. But I would never be with a group of people and have those playing while I was talk, trying to talk to other people or trying to play golf or something like that. Yeah, I, I think... It's a funny difference in our personalities. Do you know how many rounds of golf I've ever played in my life by myself? Zero? I think I played nine holes once. And all at through, at, through the greens. It was a little par three course, and I just yeah. was working on something very intently. And that was, that was the only reason. But yeah, half a round. With, so... When I started playing golf, it was in grad school, and my schedule just worked out for about three quarters that I had a big two-hour block or two-and-a-half-hour block in the middle of the day. And so I went from basically having never played golf to having some friends who were big into it, played every weekend. And so I, and so I would go out you know, two, three days a week and I was, I was determined to go from not playing to at least being able to not be holding everybody else up. So I played like executive courses in between classes, you know, two, three days, days a week for, for a year and a half. Right. So it okay. was, but yeah, it was because I was working on something because I was developing skills. I was out there. It was, it was practice. But coming back to the article, back to center, <laughs> we chased a rabbit way out into the yeah. weeds that time. Um, so the question all that half or cigar aficionado asks here: So why did Drew Estate have a change of heart? So this is interesting. So in 2019, Drew Estate Altidus STG, who owns General and Forged, um, and Davidoff, all said, "We're done. We're not coming back." Uh, STG has a pretty good 
excuse for why they're coming back this year. They bought a company who already had the deposit. They couldn't get out of it. All right. right. All right, cool. Show up. Um, Altidus, I don't remember if they gave any sort of similar reason for coming back or if they just, you know, decided it was time. And then Davidoff hasn't come back, so now Drew Estate. In their press release, Drew Estate mentioned... This is what I think is so funny. Drew Estate mentioned that moving the the conference next year to March instead of July was one of the things that that enhanced their decision. And I call bunk on that. Now, the PCA, formerly IPCPR, has been around for what, 20, 25 years, something like that? Longer than Drew Estate has been a company. And it's been in July, mostly in Vegas, ever since. So if that were really a big barrier, they never would have joined to begin with. Yes, but I can tell you, having been to Vegas in July for this show, and you know, I remember looking at my watch at midnight, and it's saying the temperature outside was still 122 degrees. Yeah. Um, I do understand the wisdom of moving this. Now I'm with you. I don't think that I, I don't think that even played a role in Drew Estate's decision. Now, what I think, what I think, maybe the the writing between the lines here is there's probably been you know there hasn't been a change to leadership at PCA, but that doesn't mean there haven't been conversations with these four companies and the PCA board of why they left, what it would take for them to come back. And it could be that they don't want to disclose any of the conditions of some of the changes that were made that aren't public. But citing the change in date for the conference demonstrates a willingness of PCA to listen to the needs of the retailer or the manufacturers that are present. And that's an example of that. I can get behind that. That that there So... Nothing exists in a vacuum. Wow, that person's talking loud. Nothing exists in a vacuum. And you could definitely say, okay, moving of the show was a sign of good faith of the PCA. That's what I think. That, that's the between the lines that I'm reading. Yeah, I could, I could definitely get that. Um, the only thing about moving the show to March, it pretty much guarantees it's always going to be somewhere in the south. Yeah. Because you're, I mean, but you it know, all pretty much always has been. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to go to Wisconsin in in March and expect everybody to navigate the roads. No, but I imagine Wisconsin's probably doesn't have nearly as much the cigar pedigree that the South does, and probably doesn't have the the facility set up as such where you can smoke and do and everything like that. So, um, the Padrone. It's just a Padron. It's always excellent. It's always good. It's always a six, six and a half every time you get it. I should smoke more of these than I do. Yeah, and they're really reasonably priced. The the fourth the four thousand is the one that I smoke the most. It's the the Toro. It's mm-hmm. like six and a half by fifty six or something like that. And it's sub sub twelve. Yeah, it's it's eleven and change. Yeah, and you know. Here's my problem with our rating system. And, you know, we've always said that in order to be a seven, you have to be the best from that line. You know what I mean? Like, La Aurora can't have six sevens. Right. I have a really hard time not giving the Thousand Series a seven because they're six and a half all day long because they are that good. They're obviously not the anniversary series, which is what gets the seven for that company. But when you factor in the fact that it only costs 11 and change, that has to be worth a half a point bump. The, the accessibility of, that, of this cigar is so great. Now, at the, that price point, there is no other cigar I'd rather smoke. Yeah, they're really cigar for the money. You can't beat it. I mean, you just it's just as good as it gets. Right. And I'll, Now, here's the question. Could I know we're running long, but I do have to ask this question while it's on my, hand, my mind. Would you smoke a Davidoff if they if they produced a thousand series Davidoff? Oh, like a like a budget version of the right. best cigar they make. I mean, I'd try it for sure. You know, I don't I don't dislike Davidoff to the extent that you do. There are a handful of Davidoffs that that I actually do enjoy. I like the Nicaragua. I like the 
the one I can never remember, the 249 or the 643 right. or whatever it's called. Um, and there's, what's the, 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 the night or the... The light hour? Maybe. Churchill light hour? I think so. Blue, okay. blue label? Probably. I don't know. I'm yeah, not that up on Davidoff. I, I don't smoke them often because of price point. But yeah, if they came out with something that was as good as their best cigar, but you know, at a price point, maybe 50%, yeah, I would probably smoke it a lot more. Do you think it would behoove Davidoff to do that? No. I don't either. I don't think with it's the It's not way, their base. The way their business model is set up, I don't think that it would that it would benefit them to do that. Yeah, I completely agree. What do you think of the Sumatra? Man, this is really good. It's got a lot of flavor for a lot for a La Polina. You know, La Polina is very nuanced. It's very subtle in their flavor profile, but you don't usually get a lot of strength or boldness. This that Sumatra wrapper has a lot of flavor. It's been super consistent, you know, the whole way through. And you know, it's getting a little ashy at the end. You know where your your mouth starts to dry out at the end. And maybe that's just the Honduran tobacco that I'm not used to. But it almost feels like I kissed the ashtray. My my lips are drying out a little bit. Um but that being said, you know, if if I for me, the black label, and I haven't had one in a long time, that right. I haven't had to put a deck screw through to be able to smoke it. Uh, I had one, and it was very good. It, it, to me, the black label is their seven. Right. This is a six and a half. This is that close to that. I And at the price point being, again, $11, this will be one that I grab a lot more often now that I know how good it is. Well, how do they get a hold of us? You can reach us at facebook.com slash thecigarcast. We're on Instagram and Twitter at thecigarcast and email info at thecigarcast.com. Well, thank you everyone for listening this week. And until next week, have a great cigar and thank well of us. Mm-hmm.